Welcome to Wealth Science. I'm your host, Jesse Fuchsia, Army Ranger, real estate investor, and income enthusiast. On this show, we uncover the keys to attaining financial freedom. There are so many people listening right now who are stuck in that day-to-day, nine-to-five rat race. Luckily, it's only temporary. Each week, we bring on guests that help us discover the steps to build financial freedom, passive income, and generational wealth so we can live the life we were born to live. Money is freedom. Let's get to the show. All right. Welcome back to another episode of Wealth Science. I'm your host, Jesse Fuchsia, and today's guest is John Connell. John grew up in Ithaca, New York, and is a U.S. Army Ranger veteran. He served in 1st Ranger Battalion from 2013 to 2017 and made the transition from military to civilian life in 2018. Today, he's a very successful financial advisor with Edward Jones in upstate New York. John, I'm pumped to have you on, bro. FAs FAs sometimes get a bad rep, so I said, we got to bring one on to settle the score, iron this out. I'm pumped to have you on, dude, and we've got some great topics to talk about today. Like everyone says, I'm happy to be here. Randy, right the world, <laughs> dude. Uh, this is an awesome opportunity, and like I said, man, I've got so much, so much good content and stuff to ask you today. I feel like sometimes the wealth management world is kind of a misunderstood world, and there's so many incredible benefits and awesome opportunities out there, dude. For the people who don't know who you are, John, who who obviously don't have the military background, not from upstate New York, dude, could you just take a couple minutes and introduce yourself for the audience? Yeah. So after going to college and deciding it was a great idea and a great life decision to to go against my parents' will, I joined the military, um, did everything I could in the military to to go run at bullets. Uh, I went from being an infantry officer all the way through to being assessed and selected for the Ranger Regiment. And I met my wife along the way we had a, a lovely family and the the time and the, the mark on the wall came up quickly and when i decided to transition out i i had no idea what i wanted to do and i flubbed my transition so bad i i like to pay it forward so that's a really big big part of uh of the other side of the fence is trying to pull those behind you forward is is absolutely essential because the same mistakes i made in my whole transition experience was was just something I hope no one else has to go through. But I digress because what got me into wealth management was was a lot of the same things that brought me to the military. It was the idea of service, right? So there's sometimes a bad taste in, that's left in your mouth if, if someone brings up wealth management or, or being a financial advisor, right? But besides defeating stereotypes, it's it's not that bad. It's, it's a, just a conversation, right? And what I really like is when I meet people, I'm broaching those four subjects you don't really talk about when you meet someone brand new, right? It's sex, politics, religion, and finances. So outside, or sometimes football team too, depending on where you live. But outside of those, um, I'm broaching a subject everyone's very uncomfortable to talk about when it shouldn't be. So that's how I'm built is I want to talk about something that's not normal and put it into terms and make it normal. I want you to to absolutely own your life and the most important thing to me is the Edward Jones value prop. It really is. And that's why I chose Edward Jones, but it's the most important thing for me is to understand what's most important to you. And then we build everything else off of that. Dude, that's, that's awesome. And I, I, I just love the story and and stuff like that. And I, I, like, I make the joke in the beginning, like FAs get like a bad rep dude, because it's like not a joke, dude. I mean, I've been on calls with FAs who like ask me for money in the first like 15 minutes of talking to them. And it's so aggravating that it's like, there's no relationship there while they're trying to do this. So that's why I think it's such a misunderstood world. And I'm pumped to have you on dude. And it's, I agree with you. And I'm I'm curious your thoughts. I don't want to like gloss over this because when I was growing up, dude, we never talked about money at the table at the dinner table or anything like that not that it was like you know a bad thing to talk about or or but we just never did dude Uh, you know i'm curious your thoughts on like the stigma like stigmatizing it i mean having that tough conversation with people about money it's a real conversation that needs to be had how are ways like you get around that conversation with people and how do you kind of warm people up to the talk i'm curious I'll, i'll give you two good examples and the first is we talked about money in my house because my mom and dad were both financially savvy. My mom was a financial advisor as well. Um, and so it was a topic that was broached when 
we started doing basic math. So I had a Roth IRA in high school. But, you know, I was a working a working teenager, and that was the first thing I opened. And that was ingrained in me from a young age. So when you ingrain your kids from a young age that this is how or this is a way to do life, you're just setting them on a path that's exponentially better than someone who's trying to do catch up later on in life, right? But the second is there's a flip side of the coin, and it's the end of life finances. So when you have elderly parents that are now trying to have the conversations with their kids, that's just as difficult. So you're either on the front end or the back end. You can do it early or you can do it late. And I'll tell you, there's not a good answer. It's it's built on or based on however you want to broach your, your family. But if you're going to teach your kids, start them early. It's like everything else, right? Start riding a bike as early as you can and get those nicks and bumps early. Because if you're doing it late, well, you're already doing it late. Um, I, sorry, go I, ahead. I was just going to add. Well, how do you talk about it? The last one I'll say is a, a funny story. So I got to the military and I'm brand new in charge of 45 guys out in, in Colorado, right? And everyone continued to complain about how they had no money per month. So the army sent them to budgeting classes. We had people come in and finally I just said, I'm, I'm sick of it all. F it. Here's what we're going to do. And I call it and I still use it today. The, the dip monster analogy. So here it is. In the military, people have a penchant for dipping, using chewing tobacco, and drinking Monster Energy drinks, right? So I said, on a piece of paper, I want you to take how many Monster Energy drinks you drink a day and how many cans of dip you go through. Put those numbers down. And then we extrapolated it out over a year. And what I'll tell you is it was about 4200 bucks. So someone making not too much money, that's extensive. That's a lot. So I said, so all these two items in your life that are absolutely essential for you to exist, that could fund your future. It's the start. That's the starting point. I'm not telling you to cut dip and beer. I wish you would cut dip out of your life, but I'm not, you know, beer, monster, whatever you want to call it. I want you to cut that in half, your consumption rate in half. And I want you to save the rest. That's it. That's the start. So that basic principle is how budging 101 works for me. It's not, we're not going to go from all to nothing, but you need to start somewhere. And this is a really, really easy way to shave. That's a big thing for me is we're not going to change this whole thing right off the bat. It's just, we're going to shave little by little and get there. Yeah, dude, I love that. And, and there's no, like, there's no cookie cutter answer to it either. Mm -hmm. I mean, there, there isn't, dude, but it's, it's such an important conversation to have. And I wish that my parents were having that conversation with me when I was like, whatever, seven, eight, nine years old, the importance of saving money and how it could totally influence you, you know, further down the road. But, you know, I encourage any parents dude, to have, have those conversations and, and to unstigmatize it, dude. It's so important. Yeah. What, what, what were some of the results I'm curious you had out there in Colorado with just doing that with some soldiers? You know, I made them future. I made them all future clients. I'm joking. <laughs> it was, you know, it's eye popping when people just start doing little things. So I said, this isn't going to stick until you do it for a couple months, but um, in the army, it's really easy to say things are mandatory and point your finger and make it so. Um, but I actually kept on top of it. So we tracked it over a six month period when we came home from a deployment and the results were pretty good. As long as people stuck to the plan, well, they had extra money in their pocket and they weren't returning into, you know, the, the platoon office to say they need to go down to finance and fix their budget or, you know, fix their monthly bills or whatever. It was, it was kind of nice. Dude, that's awesome. But yeah, I, I mean, I love this idea and I think it's so important. Really cool that you were able to help out these guys and, and implement such, you know, very small, but very effective plans that could influence them. I mean, obviously for the rest of their life. So whether, it's so powerful. Yeah. Whether you want to be on this side, it, you know, come and join me, come be an FA. If you're very curious about the opportunity at any firm, that is, there's a phenomenal opportunity out there just to help people. That's number one. But number two, the people that will make it in financial services the most are the people that stay away from using investment terms. And they put things, the right things, in analogies or storytelling or, or just in layman's terms because that's what people want to hear. We can go on all day about sharp ratios, um, you know, alpha and beta and all these other finance things, but I guarantee you, you're going to learn quickly that eyes glaze over the moment you start throwing out some terms that no one else knows. 
Yeah, dude. I mean, it's, 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 it's true. It's speaking that same language that they can comprehend and, and bringing everyone down to the same bubble. I, I love when you talk about the power of giving and how important that is and helping people to what financial advisors do. And I think that was obviously, you know, one of the main reasons why you wanted to join the military and why you're now an FA. I mean, I, I take that super serious with real estate. So many people don't know the amazing, incredible wealth building powers of real estate, of, of helping people and stuff like that. I mean, what are some big takeaways that you've had, I'm curious, as a financial advisor, just over the last few years of, of helping people and maybe, you know, helping people through some pretty, unfortunately, some pretty disastrous times or difficult times in their lives too. I'm, I'm curious, any examples or, or anything like that? Shoot. I mean, in so many different directions, there's the happy and then there's the sad and then there's like the holy crap moments, right? So um, a, a couple, my, my mom and dad's age, they're the grandparents. So essentially someone who was a grandparent to me, um, died from COVID March, 2020 died from COVID. Right. And they had to sort through all of the finances, unwrap everything, go through probate and estates and just do all of this madness. Right. And, um, most people, for most people, that's like, that's a, no one wants to do that. No one wants to, you know, bury your parents who both died from COVID within days of each other then unwrap their entire lives. So it's powerful to be a part of the conversation and help them along um, and just take a stress off your back. Like I remember when family members died and just seeing the emotions run through the room. And so being the unemotional Sherpa in the back, just being like, we're gonna do this, this is the process, right? I need your help here, here, and here. I got, I got steps five, six, seven covered, you're good. Um, it is a very powerful thing to help somebody along when they're sometimes acting unemotional. That's number one. And then on the flip side, the education piece to all this, right? So I only want to work with people that want to be educated along the way. I'm not saying they have to go and learn the school, but I want them to, to love what they're, what they're getting invested in. I want them to actually be proactive in the conversation, not just like, yeah, whatever, do it. Edward Jones has got it. Boom, we're good. I don't, I don't want to be like that. It's not healthy. It's we're both going to get bored. So on the flip side, when people, you know, say the market goes down tomorrow, these are the people who two years ago were calling crazy saying, holy crap, you, I got to go to all cash. Oh my gosh, the world's ending. But now the flip side and what they've learned over time and in, in just talking conversation, right? It's, hey, the, I see a, the market's down 5% in, in September. That's a good opportunity, right? There's an opportunity there. What if I had cash on the sideline? So there's just the flipping of, you know, personal philosophies and mentalities is really, really fun to, to watch the process go. And then the last one I'll say is, I don't know everyone around here, right? My network is who, who you make of it, right? So being just outside of Saratoga Springs now, when you meet people, there's a whole bunch of crossed arms. They'll sit back in their chair and they're very reserved. So taking someone on, on the first meeting or someone who's skeptical walking in and seeing if it's a fit. Going from that to down the line, they're coming in, you're getting high fives and handshakes and they're bringing their kids in for photos, right? It's just the, the when when the stereotypes and everything else is broken down, it's, it's just a wonderful thing to see. And at the end of the day, I get out of bed because I do think I'm making a difference. I actually do, it's not just a job. So all of those things, whether good, bad, and different, there's some pretty awesome things you can do in, in any financial services position, whether it's like you said, real estate, investments, I mean, simple banking, budgeting, debt consolidation, wherever you are. I mean, you're helping people that can't or just don't, or they're too stubborn enough to want to do it outside of what they're doing already. That is, that's awesome. I'm, I'm so happy. Like you've, you've had these experiences and, and it just makes me so happy to picture in this where like people probably are super, you know, maybe resentful at first and stuff oh, yeah. like that. And it's, it's understandable, dude. I mean, they've worked their whole lives to procure this wealth and now they're trusting it to someone that they might just be meeting for coffee for the first time or something like right. that. But where you see that progression where, you know, months or years down the road, dude, and they're bringing their kids in and they're high five and dude, that just, that's an awesome opportunity of, of really getting back to the root of what this is all about. And it's helping yeah. people. And the analogy that like, I like to use in real estate when people, you know, trust me with their money to invest in deals and stuff. And it's like, I, I view myself as kind of like the guide 
and they're yeah. the hero of the story. And all I'm doing is just guiding them through the jungle, dude, to their final destination of their, their financial goals. But I mean, it, it's so cool to hear that. And, and I think those are just awesome stories. So I'm glad we that's my, my only real analogy for like, why should I work with you? Right. Is on top of all the other things it's at the end of the day, we're going to climb this crazy mountain together on an expedition. I'm just going to be the Sherpa. You get to lead the way all the way up the mountain, but I'm going to be behind you telling you which way to step and give you a recommendation on like, that way is going to lead to death, but we're going to keep going up if we go down this path. So I'm just, uh, <laughs> if we were to climb Everest, I'm your Sherpa. Yeah, dude. It's, it's just about being the guide. They're the hero of the story. I mean, yeah. it, it's an awesome opportunity and, and I love how it's not people. like I'm going to work for you. Like, <laughs> yeah. Your income is your income. You're, yeah. you know, <laughs> I'm not doing that, but I'll help you here. <laughs> dude, I, I want to segue this conversation and just get your thoughts on, and, and we talk about this so much now here in, in the post-COVID world, the concept of risk, dude, sure. and how that plays into people's finances and stuff like that. I, I, I want to get your thoughts on the concept of risk, dude. What, what are some um, you know ways that we can mitigate that with our finances and stuff like that and, and just your overall Robusta Move was founded from our passion for two of the most simple and amazing things in life, good coffee and good music. Both of these enjoyable aspects of life play a vital role in the bringing together of people. And although we understand that everyone's music taste is different, there's no denying that when it comes to coffee, the difference between a good cup and a bad cup is undeniably blatant. That's why in the spirit of community and coming together, we at Robusta Move have made it our mission to supply our customers with superior coffee that you, your friends, and your family can enjoy. And we'll leave the playlist up to you. Visit robustamove.com and save 20% on your first order with the code VINYL. That's code VINYL, V-I-N-Y-L to save 20% on your first order at robustamove.com. Robusta Move Coffee. Try it today. So I think risk is the the biggest thing in the entire industry that people just get too um they gla- they glaze over too much. They just get too callous with using it all the time this word risk, right? Risk is all things. I mean, it's how your money's invested. It's you. It's what you want your goals to be. It's it, risk is everywhere, right? It's in the military. I'll give you an analogy. In the military, we were our job as officers and leaders, right, was to mitigate risk to a certain level that was acceptable. Um, how did we do that? Well, when you go to war, you wear body armor, right? If if you go to a knife fight. And somebody's got a gun well you're in a pretty risky situation but if you go to war you get in a gunfight and you bring a battleship well you're protect right so there's all different ways to think about risk it's not just life and death but in terms of finances the best thing i can say for for people on, on where to start my recommendation just on this is have a conversation it's not just about your money growing right there's a variety of ways to do everything but it's your risk should equal what you want your output to be, but that should be the least deciding factor. What it is, is your level of comfortability with stress. If you want to stare at your phone and screens all day long, that might be a certain level of risk that you want to take. Maybe you want to be a little bit more or less. But if if reds and greens and you're watching performance is the only thing you're looking at, you're you're actually more susceptible to other risks out there because you're too focused on performance. So I think that's number one. Long-winded answer to say, it's not all about performance. Performance is not risk and vice versa. Risk is not performance. Um, what I do personally is take the factors. Now it's kind of, it's within the Edward Jones model, but we take the factors of someone's life, their goals they want to reach in the future, near term or long term, whatever that is. And then we tie that to uh, how or how they want their portfolio to be because a retirement goal is going to have potentially a different level of risk that their on-hand cash or their emergency cash or their cash flow is going to have, right? Um, so there's a variety of risks and factors that go into each. I know I just use risk within risk, but there's a so many different levels of risk, but the factors that go into it are purely based on every single individual in your current situation, right? So it's always easy to talk in hypotheticals because they're not real. 
um, let's do real estate, right? In between deals, Jesse, you have cash on hand. Yep. You probably you probably keep it at the bank, right? In a savings account. Yep. That's pretty not risky there. Your cash is cash, right? But you're not earning anything. So your level of risk is low, but your level of earnings potential is also low. Do a 180 on that, right? Say you threw that all in one of these um Dogecoin. Dogecoin. I put in Dogecoin. Yeah, there you go. Deals. You call it. Yeah, that's exactly where you want to go, right? So say you threw it all in a cryptocurrency. Well, your risk is exponentially high because it's not regulated currently and who knows what tomorrow looks like. So not only performance and all the other risks, but nothing's promised anymore. So you have a high level of risk and no real stability with it. So it's just, there's a, you know, we could go on for days just on risk, but there are so many different levels of risk that sometimes it's overwhelming. But as long as you're thinking about it, you're mitigating it in some kind of way. And my job on this side of the table is help you mitigate as many as we can. Like the military, you're not gonna be able to mitigate all the risks, but you will be able to take calculated risks. A little bit better than just being like, throw it all on black at the casino, right? Wait, we're not supposed to do that in between deals? Oh, man. <laughs> Dude, I, I love that. I just don't want to gloss over. As long as you're thinking about it, you're mitigating it in some Somebody. way, dude. Yeah. That's that's one of the big things in the military, right? Was you go out on these missions and all these, these operations and in infantry or in special operations, the casualty or the opposite of risk is death. Like somebody would die. Maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't. But as the leader on the ground, as the commander, you're responsible for life and death, whether it happens or not. And at the end of the day, you could have a perfect plan on a PowerPoint, um, but somebody can still get shot or step on a bomb, right? So it's, you can't mitigate everything, no matter how long you spend building a plan out. Same yeah. thing happens in finances. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. And and there, there are things out there that you can't always plan for. Um, I mean, like if happens. anyone saw COVID, please let me know <laughs> it was coming. You might be a psychic and could make a lot of money from it, which would be all, an even bigger reason why to reach out to a financial advisor. Um, dude, I mean, so much important factors there. I think when, when talking about finances and, and I agree, there's no single answer, just like most things we've talked today. It's what you're comfortable with. I feel like is kind of what you're getting after. How often do you want to be looking at your phone? I mean, how, how, you know, what is your level of comfortability? when it comes to risk. I mean, would you say that's about right or what are your thoughts? It, it absolutely is because sometimes in my experience, there are the people that want to take a lot of risk, but the moment they want to take risk when it's smart or when it's nice, right? When, when the market's going up, everyone wants to be super risky. Y- yes, of course that, yes. But the moment there's a little downturn or there's a little blip on the road, they are sometimes the first people that call and say, I'm going to all cash or I'm pulling out all my investments, right? It's, I, at that point, go back to square one and say, listen, we're not aligned on this risk thing because the level of risk you want is not what you're talking about right now. So we need to meet in the middle somewhere, either tamper down your expectations, which is a thing. You're just, you're shooting for the moon when currently we need to be shooting, you know, maybe for just the higher stratosphere, you know, bring it in a little bit, but that's just one example of it, right? It's you, we have to be aligned because you're going to cause yourself undue stress if you're not being true to your internal risk level that you're comfortable taking. Yeah, I agree. And I feel like that's almost like an internal conversation, like you're saying, like a conversation with yourself, you know, what am I comfortable with? Um, do I want to be awake for, you know, eight hours every night staring at my phone, scared that my life is about to go down the drain, or do I want a a comfortable night's sleep, uh, you know, not worry. I think a big part that goes into this, and I'm curious your thoughts, and we always have this conversation, dude, and it's the concept of like emergency cash savings. I'm curious your thoughts, dude. I mean, you know, what's a comfortable amount of emergency cash savings? I feel like it kind of goes a little bit hand in hand with risk to kind of segue the conversation here. I mean, what are your overall thoughts on that? How much should somebody be saving? How how much should someone have and and kind of the emergency in a bank and stuff like that? I think right up front, without knowing anybody who's listening, the blanket mark on the wall is typically six months, right? Six months cash or six months salary on hand or six months wages on hand. That's great. Um, but personally, I think it falls down to, 
or comes down to really job security. Do you feel comfortable in your job? Job stability. Do you think your job's going to be there for another year? Yes or no? If you say yes to both, well, we can probably, or you could probably taper down the level of savings at a bank you have and pick up um, a smaller investment style account where you're able to capture some performance while still being pretty conservative with it. So my long-winded answer again, I apologize. I'm just on my soapbox over here. You can't see me, but I'm standing up. Uh, Long-winded way to say, if you feel comfortable, my recommendation would be take your biggest thing that you own, your biggest expense, times it by two. For me, I have a house. It's probably an air conditioner um, or, you know, a heating unit. So I take two times that, and that's what I have in pure hard cash in a savings account. And then anything on top of that number, I keep in a, I call it my beefed up savings account, one that's earning a little bit more. There's actually um, online digital banking institutions that give you more than just point, you know, decimal points of interest rates at a bank. They give you, a, you know, a few percentage points. That's what I would consider a beefed up savings account where it's earning you a little bit more, but still super protected. So long would an answer, that's my, that's my pitch on emergency cash. It's absolutely necessary. Um, Without knowing anything else, the first goal you should always hit is budgeting to six months on hand. Then third, once you get to a point where you're comfortable, you feel job security and stability. Well, then you can download some of the actual cold hard cash and start finding a little additional avenue to have an alternate, more beefy savings account working for you. Yeah. And I, I love your point on job security. I think that's super important. Like where I always have this conversation with myself in the military, it's like, you right. know, I would say our job security is pretty strong. It's probably, it, it's relatively difficult as long as you don't get arrested or a DUI <laughs> to get kicked out. So it's like, as long as you don't, you know, go that way, you're pretty safe. So like, I always have that conversation with myself. I think I can assume a little more risk with investments, knowing that I have that paycheck coming in on the first and the 15th every month. So exactly. I think that's so important. I'm married with kids. Like I have my wife, two two kids and a dog. So my my savings is way different compared to where I was, you know, starting out brand new second lieutenant in the military. It's just two different levels of savings because again, it goes back to risk. I could take on more risk as a single guy with almost, you know, 99.9% job security and stability. I wasn't going anywhere. I had a job. That's totally different if I wasn't in the military. I'd probably be at a, a different tolerance level for and for budgeting, right? It's totally different. There's more things to budget for when there's more um, parts to the equation. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And and it's so important. And, and for people out there who maybe haven't really put serious thought into it, I, I highly recommend that they do. For some type of equation that works for them, whether it is the six months or, or using something similar to you do. Um, it's, it's super important. You know, you never know what could happen if, if, you know, you look at a March, 2020 where unemployment skyrockets, you know, overnight, it's, it was also, I remember really difficult now that I'm thinking about it for people to get unemployment benefits in 2020, the system was mobbed. It was extremely backed up and it's like, who has money in reserves right now to live off of, to support their family. So again, another super difficult conversation, but very, very important. You you never know what's going to happen. Um, super crucial, dude, for sure. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to get your thoughts before we get ready to wrap up too, dude, on, on, and we've talked about it a little bit already. You kind of brought it up, but the power of the Roth and sure. what kind of goes into that, dude, like, I mean, you brought up the great point. You had one a Roth IRA in high school, which is incredible, dude. I think right. it's so important and, and such a great, um, you know, mentality that you had already there in high school, dude. So I just want to get your thoughts on the Roth. You know, what, what are the best ways to implement it, use it and kind of leverage it? Yeah. So the first is, though, if you don't know, uh, look up the just the basics around a Roth IRA, and I'll tell you some of the biggest highlights that always were a factor in my life. Number one, there's a five-year window. From the time you open and fund it initially, there's a five-year window for it to just sit there and cook. It's called the cook period, in my opinion, right? So for five years, you have to let money cook before you can start taking it out. Uh, But after that five-year window is up, your principal is always your money. So to go back one, right, on top of just that five-year window, well, a Roth IRA is after-tax dollars in an account growing where in the future, 
yes, it's meant for retirement, but there's a mark on the wall where the growth is also tax-free. So the entire account in the future could be tax-free. That's huge because it grows like any other account, right? Wherein um, your 401ks or any other number acronym and traditional IRAs are pre-tax dollars, meaning in the future, you got to pay the man your taxes. So there's always the tax equation on, on the other side of the house. So the purpose of a Roth can be very beneficial. And in my opinion, some people think that it's a little basic. Sure. Yeah. Roth. Okay. I'll, you know, that's a good place to start. It's a wonderful place to start. The, the power of time, the time value of money growing over time, especially in this account where you don't have to think about capital gains in the future um, or, or just what your arm your required minimum distributions are going to be is something that you can potentially leave a legacy for the next generations after you but yes there's a cap on how much you can put in per year but it also opens some doors so i'll give you an example oh when we we're in the military jesse when when you got out what were some of the biggest purchases that you were thinking about making outside of real estate like just personally car yeah 100 probably yeah. a house or yeah, you know new truck some, yeah some of those things right and unless you were preparing the entire time for some of these bigger expenses where's the bucket you could have gone to if you had a Roth IRA when you know starting year one in the military well as long as you hit that five-year window all of that principal that you you put into the Roth straight back to you and your growth stays there and continues to grow so it's just a it's a it's an awesome bucket for with a variety of different things you can do in the future but it's a great place to start because there's so many doors that open once you clear that five-year window. Dude, that's awesome. And I'm so glad you brought it up like the concept. And I just don't want to, you know, gloss over how important time value money is. And no. people don't understand it. If you're putting money in that Roth every month from the time, dude, when, from the time you're in high school, that's insane, dude. That is so cool. And I'm so glad. Was that, if you don't mind me asking, was that your idea or was that something implemented by your parents or because I just know the decade family effects that that's going to have is incredible. Yeah. So my parents told, I was voluntold. <laughs> I was voluntold to do a Roth. It was ingrained that we would um, have retirement accounts once we started working. So I was like, that's cool. What, what, what is, you know, initially, what is that? My, my mom and dad walked me through it and yeah, it was, I think my, oh gosh, whatever my first year's salary was, you know, a good portion of that was going into the Roth and I didn't think about it, forgot about it when I went to college and then came out. It's like, oh God, okay, cool. We can start this up again. Neat. <laughs> Dude, that's so cool. And I, I'm just picturing like, as soon as you start working or start saving for retirement, I, I can picture what 17 year old Jesse's thinking, like who gives a shit about yeah. retirement? You know that's, what I mean? The, the thing I, I harp on when I, when I try to meet people around here is there are two things that you're probably going to say to as an objection right off the bat. It's nah, I'm good. And the second is I got time. Well, number one, you don't have time. In our lives, you can either work longer, get a higher paying job, or invest more money, right? And that's that's really it. So you can work longer, either in years or in hours of the day. Nobody wants to do that. You can get a higher paying job. Sure, that would also you require number one, where you have to work longer or harder, right? And then number three, you could invest more. So we always land back on, on number three. So just start earlier. So you, you don't have to think about it later on in life and you're already on a plan and a path. It's already in motion. It's so hard to go from zero to one compared to trying to go from one to 10. Zero to one is the hardest step to make. That first step is hard. You, you're thinking about monthly budgets coming in, going out. Oh God, what's this going to do to me? How am I going to react? And then once you start going, if you, you know, say you put a hundred bucks a month away, if if you were to think about it again in six months, you'd probably say, well, I can't afford another 25. It'll be okay. And at that point, you're already putting 125 bucks away, not thinking about it, right? Yeah, dude, it's it's so important. And it, it's it's so it's so incredible that you started this in high school because uh that, this is my goal. Like these are the conversations like I'm gonna have with my kids. It's like as soon as you start working, you're gonna start saving for retirement. It's, it's I mean, there's there's other huge benefits that I'm glossing over too. I mean, if you the actual physical term is a kid Roth. 
It's a kid Roth IRA. Uh, there are rules around it, so look it up before you just start throwing money into it. Uh, but as long as the child is abiding by the rules when they're of working age, this could be used for college. It could be used for expenses, and you don't have to pay tax on it, which is double wins, right? We all want to pay less taxes anyway. No one, I don't think, ever wants to be like, I need to pay the man more taxes. So it's it's just a phenomenal thing to start early, and it's a, I mean, you could set it up online with anybody. It's, you could do it yourself. That's what I'm saying. Is you don't have to go through somebody, but it's just a phenomenal tool with so many additional benefits, and it's it's glossed over as simply a retirement vehicle for the future. No, it could be so many more things if you put your mind to it. Dude, that's awesome. And it's, it's so important having these and incredible having these conversations at, you know, 18 or 20 years old, as opposed to having them at like 50, 60, 70, dude. And it's like, so it's, it's life changing. If you can start this early enough, the the last thing I wanted to get your thoughts on dude was the concept of, and I'm I'm really curious. And we talked a lot about savings accounts and 0.00001 interest and, and whatnot. And like, we're living in this, and this is super relevant. We're living in this world where inflation is talked about all the time and, and it's crazy dude you know for the people out there like i'm curious your thoughts who who have a lot of money in their savings account mm-hmm. and obviously we have this this concept of inflation in our society with how much liquidity has been injected into our economy and stuff like that what are simple steps that those people can take to kind of hedge against inflation or, or investments or, or what are your you know recommendations or advisements to them i'm curious yeah, so that's uh, this is the age-old question right now. It's it's going higher than just me sitting here, you know, in my house. It's these are the huge questions being asked at at the highest levels of the Fed and at the the big investment firms around the country. And it's everyone has a different take. They, it's you know, inflation was transitory. Yeah, and yeah. Then it's not transitory, right? And it's here to stay, but it'll go away next year. It's the age-old question because we now live in us in an age where when in the past there was inflation, well, we also had an interest rate that was a little bit higher, higher than what it is now. So it was easier to say, okay, we're just going to move it into fixed income vehicles, right? It's not necessarily the case right now when, when the current interest rate environment is lower than what it has been uh, for some time. So people flocking to fixed income aren't getting the interest rate return that they would have even three years ago, right? So do you have to change your risk? tolerance profile to go to the equity side and take on more risk is that are you going to now hunt performance this is what questions i pose to myself all the time do you have to now go hunt performance and equities are there alternative vehicles and mechanisms that you can utilize to to capture some of the interest rate that you wish you still had from a couple years ago (sighs) dangerous questions i don't know this is this is when you find out and you have an answer jesse let me know because um I don't have a good one. Where can you look? I'll give you this. Where can you look? Well, depends on what you're trying to accomplish, right? Yeah, so yeah. someone with just pure savings, sometimes sometimes a different bank, maybe these these online digital banks that are offering the same thing at maybe one, two or 3%. It's not perfect. You're not going to beat inflation, but you're also not going to lose as much to inflation, right? If you already have a portfolio of fixed income portfolios, you're if you have a bond ladder or bonds or something like that in fixed income, well, depending on your risk tolerance, again, there's high yield or shorter duration. There's a variety of things that are out there and it's, there's no right answer. That's the worst thing I can say, but it's like the, well, just wait it out. You'll be fine. You know, it's tough when inflation's running at five or 6%, that's $5 missing for every hundred dollars. Like you're just because why inflation. That's, that's my favorite answer. <laughs> Dude, there's, there's no answer. That's why I wanted to ask it to you, dude. It's like, it, it, it truly is the billion dollar question right now in 2021. What is our best hedge against infl- inflation to invest? And there's so many people out there who have, who have so many crazy, wacky ideas. I really like your idea of the beefed up savings account though, or maybe it isn't beating it, but it's, it's still, I would say highly mitigating it, dude, for it's, sure. It's, you're not going into a space where... I'm not gonna, I don't wanna poop on anybody's parade, right? But to me, cryptocurrencies can be a, a dangerous slope because it's just not regulated yet. I'm not saying don't do it, but if you think cryptocurrencies are, are your end all be all savings account, well, shoot, I'm, 
I'm sorry that you have to take on that level of risk to think that's a savings account, right? I don't think anybody in the crypto space would argue with me there. Sometimes with the current environment where current rates are, sometimes in my opinion, it's okay to just play defense as best we can play defense. Sometimes defenses get burned, right? The Arizona Cardinals are putting up points on everybody this year. It's, you know, the you're sometimes you just run into an offense that isn't going to be beat. And right now with interest rates where they are, inflation running super high, the answer I think that no one really wants to say is like, we just kind of have to deal with it for now. You're getting, you know, they're throwing for 500 yards on you. You just kind of have to get through the game. And I personally don't think inflation's here to stay. I don't think Edward Jones does either, but I think it's here for a duration of time. I don't think it's transitory. I think it's here at a higher level than what we're used to in the past couple of years. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of IQ points being burned day and night on, on fixing this issue. And they're getting paid way more dollars to think and talk about this all day long. So I have, I have faith that the system is working. It's just going to take a minute to turn the battleship in the right direction. Yeah, no, it's, it's super interesting. And, and like I said, I really like the idea of the beefed up savings account where you're still very high, you know, I would say mitigating it to a pretty large extent um, inflation. But the reason I pose this question to you, obviously it's the million dollar question, but I've got a buddy who in the GameStop fiasco made a ton of money and he was reaching out to me about what he should do with it. And he's like, dude, I just have it sitting in my savings account right now. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Oh my God, dude, we got to do something about the, this. Preparing for the short-term capital gains that he's about to eat. Yeah, dude, no joke. And I was like, bro, what, like, let me connect you with some people. Like, we can find a solution, but like, don't do that. Like, inflation is so insane right now. Your money is losing value in a savings account. Um, Wall Street had some fun, some fun thoughts right after GameStop and some of the other things happened. They had a couple really, really good articles that. You know, I I hope people made money off the system, right? And I hope they did it right. But I just hope they didn't put all like the because the Wall Street, here's what I'm referencing is the Wall Street articles, there were a few out there right after GameStop that people bet their entire lives, their mortgages, they put everything into this stock, right? And they made a boatload of money. Phenomenal. But at the end of the day, I couldn't be one of them because I couldn't put you know, the house that keeps us here and keeps my kids fed. I couldn't do that. So I don't know what kind of situation they were in, but I'm glad they used the system to their advantage. And I don't want the system to change or, you know, handcuff them and say, you can't ever do this anymore. But I hope that people get smart and, and that's this GameStop thing is now a point of co- topic and conversation where it gets people thinking about the investment space more. Because the, again, going back to I'm good, or I got time. Well, we already talked about the time thing. When you say I'm good, I hope it's because you're good and you're doing something. As long as you're doing something, I'm happy. Yeah, dude. It's like, what's the difference between gambling and investing? You know, just because some people rip some, you know, well, yeah, investment and spe- investing and speculating yeah. are two totally different things, right? 100%. Yeah. It's crazy, but I, I I love your mentality of like, hey, it gets people more savvy. It gets them thinking more about the investing space. It, it brought, I'm sure, a lot of attention to the financial wealth building space of like, wow, there's everyday people out there who are millionaires now from this. So I'm sure the lasting effects will be something interesting for sure. Yeah, um, last, last thing I wanted to hit you with, dude, we talk mindset on here a lot. Mm-hmm. I think mindset is super important to wealth building and, and whatever, financial advisement in general. I mean, yeah. obviously your career in the Ranger Regiment, even now, you know, in the wealth building space and, and financial advisement space, you know, this financial wealth building is, it's a journey. And we've talked about it today, or mm-hmm. it's, it's a marathon, dude. It's not a sprint. I mean, some people begin this journey and, and have issues finishing or fall off somewhere in the mm-hmm. ladder. So I'm, I'm curious your thoughts, dude. I mean, whether it's, the, whether it's the financial journey or maybe a tough military selection process, you know, what, what have you seen in your career where people have kind of fallen off the ladder or maybe quit early or haven't fallen through, you know, followed through with something or have issues, you know, persevering through those difficult times, whether it be wealth building, you know, military selection or anything like that. Whenever I have a dude, obviously who's prior special operations, it's cool to hit them with that question and, and get their thoughts on it. Yeah. That's a really good question. I think first and foremost, when you're surrounded in the military, when you're surrounded by people of the same caliber that are trying to do the exact same thing you are, there's as much of a, 
I want to say it's just mental toughness to get through it, right? But there's a shared common hardship. And in regiment, we used to have hardship events where you'd, you know, you'd get 24 hours notice to go walk 40 miles with pounds on you, right? Or they'd say, hey, just go, we'll pick you up in three days. Okay, I guess I guess all of us are doing this together. So no one's gonna quit, right? It's, it's very easy not to quit when you're surrounded by people who are also not quitting. That that doesn't work outside of the military. If you try to implement that in the corporate world, not walk 40 miles, but you know, you don't get the same outputs. The majority of the time, sometimes you do, but I'm saying shared hardship, mental toughness isn't where people find success. I think it's the balance, not only just work life, but I had, I had someone tell me that life is, oh, I'm going to butcher this. I want to say he told me that life is, uh, to have success in life, it's four things. It's um, relationships, fitness, personal time, and spirituality. It was whatever you want to combine those four. And they all are pretty much common sense. But if you don't do one, the others will fall off as well. But if you do all four, you will be absolutely successful in some way, shape, or form or the other. Whether, whether you're going to live longer than anyone else because you're healthy from fitness or um, the mental one always gets me because that's also, that's pro, you know, professional development and time to myself where I can learn and grow and do the things I want to do outside of work. But funny enough in there, well, I guess there was five. The fifth one was work. So yeah, outside it was all five. Yeah, that's why I butchered it. But you can't just work. Right. And that's, that's where I got, I, I burned out. I've burned out everywhere I've gone um, simply because I work too much. And so the thing when I got here that I tried to implement the most was do the thing in ranger school that we had to do where it's 63 days in a wake up at ranger school. Well, guess what? It's just another day at a time here in my life. Right. And so I've, I got through the phase where I wasn't drowning and I have job security and it wasn't just, Hey, talk to as many people as you can or else you're gone right um once you get outside of just make it through the retention then you get to make i get to create this however i want to create it so dan long-winded answer again i think finding balance is absolutely paramount and it's the hardest thing we all talk about and struggle with but it's not just work it's not just fitness it's not just family because then you're not working but finding and being true to yourself, that's it. Being true to yourself with balancing these five things, you will find success. I can tell you my three rules of Ranger School, but it's, it's most definitely R-rated. <laughs> I, I love this idea. <laughs> yeah. My, my buddy made it up. It's, I'll tell you anyway. Yeah. Carry everything. Don't be a coward. Don't say no. Those are your three rules of Ranger School you make. Got it. Too easy, dude. Anyone who's listening wants to go to Ranger School. John Connells just it. gave you the three rules to success, dude. I'm I'm glad we sat down and talked today, dude. Like I said, I've had so many conversations with financial advisors where it's like in the first 10 minutes. So Jesse, how much money are you know, how much money are we talking here? And it's like, dude. Oh, uh, dude, it's cringe worthy the bad conversations I've had and in the Listen, awesome conversations. Okay. <laughs> I remember the COVID pandemic and the messages that were sent and received on, you know, three blurbs, three paragraphs on why you should work with a financial advisor. Um I, I hated them, so I didn't do it. And I didn't meet people by doing three, you know, we we I think we connected on LinkedIn too, but it was it's not about the three paragraphs and telling people what you do. That's, you know, it goes back to sales 101 or just, I think, relationship building 101, right? If I said, hi, I'm John Connell, and then went on a 48-minute pitch on why you should work with me, maybe you would have responded with like, that's cool, but this is a podcast. So, you know, it's it's just a conversation. Yeah, dude, it is. That relationship piece can never be uh, underestimated. It's so important. But John, we connected on LinkedIn. Obviously, we're both from the Ranger Regiment. You didn't ask for my money in the first 30 seconds of speaking to me. I appreciated that. I feel like we, we squashed a lot of, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> bad things that people think about financial advisors out there. I wanted to hit you with one last thing, dude. We hit everybody with this. John Connell's living the perfect life, dude. What does that look like? I'm curious. Uh, it's doing what I'm doing right now. I uh, I go in the fall, blow leaves with my kids outside. They love it. We go hiking. I, I get day trips. I get date nights with my wife. Life is good. I've had a fulfilling life. I've I've exited the organizations I was a part of on on my dime on, on at my time. And 
I truly think I'm making a difference. That's what's going to keep me around for, you know, 35, 40 years until, until I die in the seat is hopefully not in the seat, hopefully somewhere nice and, and warm and pretty with the beach, but um, with a drink in my hand. But outside of that, it's, I, I hope to be a model. And I told you this initially was, I hope to be a model to regiment guys getting out on why wealth management is a phenomenal option if they want to think about it. But number two, Edward Jones, I'll, I'll throw the Kool-Aid out there. Edward Jones is a phenomenal place. Um, you get to make your own business however you want to make it. It's just me and an office administrator. I don't have to answer to someone over my shoulder telling me what to sell or pitch or get people to buy. It's, it's phenomenal in that kind of way. And then the last part is culture. And that's what keeps people around, right? But if you find a place with a phenomenal culture, and I'll define culture as peer leadership, um, people who are willing to help you when you're down, because that's not always the case. But when you're struggling or you're having a conundrum and you can't work through it yourself, being able to pick up a phone and dial a peer and your peer is receptive and gives you great advice. That's a culture. I don't want to, I don't want to. Dude, that's awesome. And, and again, I can't thank you enough for coming on today. I think our conversation was great. I mean, John, people who love the story and listen to the episode, dude, where can they reach you? What platforms are you on? What's the best way to get a hold of you after here? So you, you can find me on the Edward Jones website. That's the easiest one. It's got all my office info. It's got all my, my personal info and, and the office number to call. It's a 518 area code. Uh, which is great because it's right in upstate New York. Um, but I'm, I'm reachable everywhere through LinkedIn primarily. I don't really like the other social media websites, um, which is another bourbon conversation for another day. But uh, LinkedIn primary and secondary would definitely be just go on edwardjones.com and backslash my name. You'll find me. Awesome, dude. I, I appreciate you coming on. Like I said, we, we had to have a financial advisor on, dude. We had to dispel some of these myths that there are good people out there who want to help other people build financial freedom, dude. So I appreciate you coming on today, talking with me, explaining super basic things that people can start implementing literally right now to change the rest of their lives. John, today was awesome, brother. I appreciate all the content. It was a privilege to speak with you. I appreciate it, Jesse. Cool, man. Have a great rest of your day. You as well. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Wealth Science Podcast. Take some time to subscribe and leave us a review. It really is the basis that helps us continue to bring on amazing guests each week. We have another incredible story to share next week, and I'm certain it's going to add value to this community. Please do not hesitate to reach out if there's anything I can do to help you in your journey of attaining financial freedom. Thank you again for listening, and we will see you next week.